Well, I only had one slide I wanted you to see, so you'll have to go look at the cover of The New Yorker this week. Uh, this week's issue of The New Yorker has a great cartoon. It shows a man on a subway reading a newspaper, and the headlines uh, have to do with the election. And I think everybody can get behind the headlines. Um, I don't remember them exactly. What are they, Edmund? One is, oh, dear Jesus, no. And another is, oh, come on. And I forget, but they're all of that flavor, so the headlines like that. So, um, so um, I have some good news about the election and some bad news. Last week I told you I was, I was going to tell you how to vote, um, and I am. I'm going to tell you how to vote. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. So today we're going to talk about how to vote. The good news about the election really kind of follows on the heels of the bad news. So I'll tell you the bad news first. The bad news is one of them is going to win. And I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do about that. But the good news is they will quit advertising. <laughs> and so will everybody else. I, I was reading some statistics, uh, and, and the statistic is too good to be believed. It's from Wesleyan University, which conducts uh, polls on or uh, uh, surveys on uh, political advertising. Uh, this year in the election, there will be uh, $2.4 billion spent on uh, uh, political advertising for the president's race alone. Now, there are about 200 million people of voting age in this country. And when you factor in that some of them are not registered and some of them will not vote, that that tells you that there's about $10 being spent to advertise to every potential voter and about 20 to $25 for every single vote that will be cast. And that's just for the presidential election. And, you know, when I hear statistics like that, my, my mind boggles. Um, partly I say, well, I would love it if you would just cut out the middleman and give me the money. That would be even better. But obviously they're not going to do that. But I ask myself, who is paying for all these ads? I mean, if you stop and think about it, right? If, if you send $25 because you approve of this candidate and you want them to succeed in, in, the, in office and so forth, and you send them $25, you're just breaking even. Right? You need to send them more if you actually want to reach anybody else who's not already a fan of that candidate. So who is spending the money? And why are they spending the money? You know, what is it that they expect to get in exchange for their $25? You know, it makes me wonder. But really it's academic because they're not giving it to me. They're not going to give me the, the money. Uh, believe it or not, they're not advertising in Alaska. Now you may think from watching the TV and listening to the radio that they're advertising YouTube. Uh, that that you think that they're advertising here, but this isn't a battleground state. They're hardly advertising at all here. Can you imagine what it must be like if you live in a battleground state like Florida or North Carolina, Wisconsin, Nevada? Can you imagine the wall-to-wall saturation bombing they must be doing in those states? I, I cannot even imagine what it must be like. So, um, so... Uh, we, we, we know that these, these elections are important. We're spending a lot of money advertising on them. And um, I was actually talking about uh, um, somebody, I was joking with somebody about making an endorsement in the election, and they thought I was serious. Um, you know, pastors have to be careful when they joke, and I, I wasn't careful enough. They thought I was serious, and they said, you better not. And um, I, I thought to myself, you know, with all this money being spent on advertising, because bear in mind, it's not just the president, Right. It, there's, that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's a pretty big tip, but I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of money being spent on advertising for all the ballot measures, all the local candidates, all the state candidates, um, all, all the advertising. 
how much do we hear from God? I mean, we know what the world wants us to do on Tuesday. We know both sides of what the world wants to do. But realistically, if you think back over the last year and a half, how much time have you spent seeking God's will? How much time have you spent reading the scriptures and praying and honestly listening to your pastor? Because when I think about this, I say to myself, the truth is I probably don't preach politics enough. Because when we're silent here, we're not operating in a vacuum. What we're doing is we're saying the world will get the final say. The world will get the only say. So I encourage you, do spend time seeking the Lord's will. In the next two days, try to carve out five minutes. Get the ballot measure guide, the, the voting guide. Get that and go through it and ask God what he would have you do for each one of the things you're going to vote on. Now, I'm not going to tell you what the answers are. I'm not God. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't endorse candidates. Although you may have noticed as you drive by the church, I just saw this yesterday, I'm on the wrong side of the church. One of our local candidates has put a billboard up on the church property um, over here in the corner. He did not ask me for permission. And I certainly hope none of you gave him permission. Yeah. Um, so that's not an official endorsement of the church. Um, in fact, that illustrates the problem. The problem when the church takes sides in an election is it communicates two things. There's, there's really two problems. The first is it communicates to everybody driving on Jewel Lake, everybody who's in the car, everybody who's riding the bus, everybody who's dropping their kids off across the street. It communicates to them that half of you won't fit in here, that there's no place for half of you in this church. It's a terrible message for a church to send. And honestly, it's not a great message for the other half. Some of you remember Groucho Marx. Remember what his line was? He said he would never join a club that would accept him as a member. So whichever side of this candidate's position you're, 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 you're in, what message does the church send when we have a bulletin, a billboard on our property? So um, I just saw it yesterday. I'm, I'm going to call him on um, Monday and ask what that's doing there. So, um, so we hear from we hear from the world, and we probably don't hear from um, God enough. And one of the problems is we communicate to people that that uh, this church is not for them because they don't take the right side. But the other problem, the deeper problem, and this is a problem churches stumble into over and over again, pastor after pastor stumbles into this, is they say, well, my convictions, my political convictions require me to articulate this position, to, to praise this politician or to condemn this politician. And the problem with that is it muddies the message of the gospel. The thing that Jesus commissioned the church to do is muddied when the church takes sides because Jesus did not come to take sides. Jesus came to take over. So what I want to do today is I want to look at an example of how people conduct campaigns. This is this is a story from... Old Testament, it's a story from the Hebrew Scriptures where there was a kind of a grassroots initiative, there was a citizen action, there was a kind of a, an early uh, a predecessor of the ballot measure. It's a story from the time of, of um, the judges. 
And uh, the people come to judge. The people come to the judge Samuel. I'm reading in now in um, chapter eight of First Samuel. The elders of Israel gathered together, came to Samuel, and said, "You're old, and your sons aren't following the ways of the the, the ways you have. So appoint for us then a king to govern us like the other nations." They say, "Here's the problem, Samuel. You've been okay as a judge." And your predecessor, Eli, was okay as a judge, but both of you have had really lousy children, and um, they're not going to be good judges in the future. And frankly, we're just tired of the whole mess. As we reflect on the, the whole history of the judges in Israel, we realize it was this kind of death spiral. It got worse and worse. Every time we had a judge, they rescued us, but then we went back off the rails. We went back into the ditch, and then God allowed us to be oppressed, and then we called for a judge and God gave us a judge, and then we did it over and over again, and each time it got worse. The writer of the book of Judges concludes the, the, the whole story, the last line of the book of Judges is, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The problem that they identified, they are half right. The problem they identified is they need a ruler. They need a king. Because when we don't have a king, we follow our hearts. And our hearts get us into trouble. If you think about it, the worst problems in your life, the worst decisions you've ever made, the worst purchases, the worst relationships have been times when you followed your heart. The prophet Jeremiah says, says about your heart and about mine, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. The problem is when we don't have a ruler we will all follow our hearts. And I know, you're, you're the exception. Your heart is awesome. I know, I know. But don't nudge them. But the person next to you, what about their heart? What about the person across the street back home? What about the person on the next block who broke into the, the house? What about the person who shot the other fellow over in Muldoon? What about their hearts? The heart is desperately sick. So they're right. We need a king. We need a ruler. We cannot live in some utopia where everybody just does their own thing. So what do we do? Well, they go to Samuel and they say, we need a king. The problem is they've got a king. Samuel is displeased. He goes to God and says, they want me to appoint a king. And God says, don't be upset. I know they dissed your children. Well, your children aren't so special. But um, but they're not just dissing you, Samuel. They're dissing me. Because they've got a king. They've got a king and they're rejecting me as king. So they're half right. They need a king. They're half wrong because they want a human king. They want a king like the nations have. They want a king you can point to and look at and put a hat on and say, there's my king. God says, they've got a king and they're rejecting me. And this is the place we need to pay close attention because this is what God is so wonderful at. God is so wonderful at taking our mistakes, our brokenness, the things we do to mess up our life, and by his amazing godness, he brings good out of our evil. The evil of rejecting God as king, God does something amazing with. He he tells them, he tells Samuel, says, tell them what they're getting into. Make sure they know what they're getting into. So Samuel does this long list of all the ways that a king is going to, is, is going to be a problem, right? They've been thinking about what the king will do for them. And Samuel says, well, let's stop and take a look at what the king is going to want from you. 
All you've been thinking about is what he's going to do for you. Look at what he's going to do. He's going to take this. He's going to take that. He's going to do that. He's going to do this other thing. And the amazing thing is you read the, the rest of the book of First Samuel. You read Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. The whole history of Israel is a history of the kings, and it is fulfilled over and over again, this prophecy. This is what the kings do repeatedly. He says, tell them what they're getting into. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, we are determined to have a king over us so we may be like other nations and our king may fight our battles. So God does something that only God could do. God can take that wrong, that flawed request, rejection of God as king, and answer it in a way that brings good out of it. Because what he says is, he says to Samuel, give them a king, but I will ultimately give them a true king. See, what they want is a king who is human, but what they need is a king who is God. And I will give them one who is both. I will give them a true king. And so we read in the scriptures how Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David. He is the promised king, the one that all the other kings pointed to. The good kings and the bad, they all point to a coming king who would have none of the flaws and all of the virtues. And so we read in Revelation that Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. But he's not like the other kings. He is different. Jesus says, you know the way the kings of the Gentiles lorded over their subjects. I am a different king. I am a king who washes my disciples' feet. So God provides a true king because the ruler that God's people need is not the one that they want. God graciously provides a true king. And Jesus does something. Jesus brings us into our true country. Jesus came announcing the nearness of the kingdom of God. And what he did when he took the crown between the two thieves and hung on his throne. Jesus ransomed us from the powers of darkness. He transferred us from the kingdom we had been living into, into his kingdom. And his kingdom is in us. And because we are in the true kingdom, because we are in the true kingdom, The risk is that we will turn back. This is the history of the people of God. We turn back. We say, I liked it better in Egypt. They had leeks and and flesh pots there, whatever a flesh pot is. I wanted it better back then. I want to go back. It is difficult for us to live our lives outside of our true country. It is difficult always to be an alien and an exile apart from our true country. And so we are cautioned not to submit again to the yoke of slavery, not to go back to the country that Jesus has redeemed us from, but to conduct ourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Jesus does one thing. He says, he says there is this new kingdom, and I want you to be heralds of it. See, we need a king to go before us. We need a king to fight our battles because we are broken and tired and defeated. We need a king 
who can fight our battles. We need a king who can govern us because our lives have become unmanageable. We need a king. And Jesus is that king. But the people around us need it too. They need to know that there is a true king who is available to them. And so Jesus commissions us to be his witnesses. He says, the kingdom of God cannot be detected by visible signs. People will look for it and say, where is this kingdom you claim allegiance to? I can't see it. No, you can't because it's in my heart and it's in and amongst the people of God. But I witness to it. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. He says, as the Father has sent me, I send you. Tell the people, tell the people there is a true kingdom and there is a true king. Tell them not to invest more hope in a human king than he can possibly deliver. Because power is corrupt. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. He says they cannot do what they promise. They cannot do what you project onto them. So he says, tell the people that there is a true country and a true king. That is the commission of the church. That is what we are called to do. Jesus did not come to take sides. Jesus came to take over. And he commissions us to tell the world about our true country and our true king. So what do we do with it? Let, 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 me, let me give you some specific things you can do. Between now and the election, spend five minutes in prayer. You've heard from Trump and Clinton. You've heard from Gary Johnson. You've heard from everybody. You've heard from Lisa Murkowski and Joe Miller. You've heard from countless people telling you how to vote. Hear from God. Spend five minutes between now and the election listening to hear what God would say. Read the scriptures. Read your ballot measures, that whole voter book, and ask God what he would have you do. Do that between now and the election. And starting at the election, as soon as they announce results, we have a commission. Paul tells Timothy this. This is how we are to pray. Ask God to help them. Whoever loses, because it's painful to lose, but especially whoever wins. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and for all who are in authority. Whoever wins, whoever loses, whoever you wanted to win, pray for them. They've got a hard job. They've probably made promises they can't fulfill. So pray for them. And finally, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. See, it doesn't really matter ultimately whether the king is good or the king is bad. When Peter wrote those words, the king was Nero. Peter would be crucified upside down in Nero's courtyard. And he said, honor the emperor. Because it really doesn't matter. We know who our true king is and we know what he calls us to do. To live honorably among the Gentiles. To love, to, to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. And when we do so, we silence the foolish opponents. You know, how many of you have, in the past month, have seen something on Facebook and wanted to silence a foolish opponent? You know how you do that? You don't do it by blocking them. You don't do that by getting into a little flame war on Facebook. The way you do it is by conducting yourself honorably among the Gentiles. So between now and Tuesday, pray. And starting on Tuesday, pray. You get a theme there. 
pray a lot. And conduct yourself honorably among the Gentiles. It's hard work being an alien and an exile from our true country. But it's already present among us. And we have the opportunity to bear witness to it in this world. Let's pray. Loving God, we give thanks that when we when we forget you're there, when we forget to turn to you, we don't look to you for guidance. You don't cut us loose. You don't say, well, good luck with that. You turn our rebellion and our stubbornness into a blessing. You take the human king we want and combine him with the godly king we need. And so, Lord, we pray you'd, you'd speak to us. Help us to listen to you each day to turn to you always, to conduct ourselves honorably among the the Gentiles. Through Christ our Lord, amen.